Hello there, college coaches. I hope your seasons are going well. This is Dave Mullins, Managing Director at the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. Today, my guest is Chris Young. I was very fortunate to coach against Chris for eight years while I was at the University of Oklahoma. I witnessed firsthand the amazing impact Chris has had on the Oklahoma State Women's Tennis Program, and I'm thrilled that he's able to share some of his insights with a larger audience today. Chris is now the director of tennis at Oklahoma State and has managed to turn a very average Power 5 program into a national powerhouse, coming within a hair of capturing an NCAA team title in 2016. He was instrumental in fundraising and building an incredible tennis facility in Stillwater and has made college tennis one of the most relevant sports in the minds of his athletic department, university and greater Oklahoma tennis community. It is with great pleasure that I bring you my conversation with Chris. Chris Young, thank you for coming on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I am too. We obviously go go way back and had some uh, some amazing matches early in our career. You at OSU and, and me at uh, OU and, and uh, both kind of got there around the same time. Um, I started a, a year ahead of you. I know uh, I'm still shocked to this day that, that OU didn't hire you. I'm sure they're kicking themselves, but uh, you've done amazing things at OSU and there's so many... Uh, lessons here for our, our coaches to learn from you. So I really appreciate you doing this, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to do it. I, I don't uh, know exactly what people will learn, but hopefully uh, they'll take something and, and it'll be beneficial. Yeah, well, if they don't learn something, I know I will. So uh, I'm doing this selfishly for my own my own personal development. But can you maybe take us through some of your early days in the college coaching world and why you ultimately committed to a career in college coaching? Yeah, I think for me, I, I had a really good experience in, in college. Um, I started actually at Lipscomb University and then transferred to Oklahoma Christian. And when I transferred to Oklahoma Christian, we had a really strong team with a lot of guys that went on to be in college coaching. I know a lot of people will know Sam Winterbottom, who was our top player at the time. And his brother, Glenn, was actually on the team with us. And Luciano Battaglini, who's um, been in college tennis quite often with uh, Minnesota as a longtime assistant coach. And then uh, Carlton, a, a division three. And um, Dan Nelson was with us. He's at uh, Rio Grande Valley and John Blackburn's a division two coach. So all these guys that were, <laughs> were with us, um, everybody stayed in tennis. Um, you know, Christian Pensavalier is, um, is a teaching pro. And so all these guys that we, um, played together, all had a great experience and everybody was just kind of tennis junkies really. And everybody just, um, always hitting extra, always doing things. And it really just instilled in me kind of what it took to be successful. A lot of these guys had already had success and NAI being a little bit older, uh, a lot of guys coming in and, and I was much younger than them. And so I just kind of soaked up what all these guys did and, um, you know, then obviously our coach, Chris Miller, had a big impact on on that situation and inspiring a lot of guys to uh, to want to be college coaches. Um, and then when I graduated, I'd had a few injuries and different things during my senior year. And so, you know, oftentimes when I'd sit out, I would kind of help him in the matches, just be on court doing things. And and I remember at the end, he just said, hey, why don't you stick around and kind of be a GA for us and, and help me with both teams. He coached both men and women and mm -hmm. just help me with both teams. And, and so that's what I did for the first year. And then in the middle of the second year, um, he was diagnosed with colon cancer and uh, I had to step in in the interim with both teams in my second year, you know, a lot of the, a lot of them former teammates and uh, you step in and 
and try to keep things going during that year. And, um, you know, he was able to recover and, and come back at, at the end of that year. And then the next year, our guys won the national championship. Um, and that was a lot of fun to, to do with him. And the girls were strong program. And, and then um, from that, it got me the opportunity at Wichita State. And so then I went to Wichita State and I was there um, for six months coaching the girls, what I, what I went for. And then the men's coach left in November and kind of was a challenging time to find somebody else to come in and help. So they um, named me the director of tennis and I coached both men and women um, for my five years at Wichita State. So coming to Oklahoma State was was nice because it was my first time in my career. I just got to coach one team and <laughs> just be on, on one side. Um, but it was a great experience being able to coach both. You know, you, there's obviously differences in coaching, but there's a lot of similarities. You know, it's um, a lot more similar than, than people realize. And um, but it was it was definitely a challenge, especially to do it at, at a high level, um, to be able to give the players what they need, to give them the individual attention that they needed. Um, you know, you just spend a lot of time on court, which is the part that I love. But being a head coach, as you know, there's so much more that goes into it. So the time demands um, of coaching both were always a challenge. But, uh, you know, got the opportunity in 2009 uh, to meet with Mike Holder at Oklahoma State. And he talked to me about kind of the hopes and dreams of the department and, and how that could relate to, to tennis and, and what they, um, you know, hoped the tennis program could become. And, and I was really inspired by that and, and to be able to work with somebody who had been a successful coach himself, you know, he was golf coach here for 32 years and won eight national titles. So, um, that was so intriguing to me to be able to, to have, a, um, a boss and a leader who did everything that I would, um, would love to do. You know, he, he built a golf course, uh, in Carson Creek and, we knew that um, we were going to have to do something with tennis facilities, at Oklahoma state. And so basically all the things that I knew that it was going to need to be accomplished. I had somebody that I could work with every single day who had done it. And so um, I feel like I'm always a curious learner and, and I love talking to people, asking questions and finding out what makes people successful. And when I had a conversation with him 10 minutes in I'm like this is a guy that I need to learn a lot from and best way to do it is come work for him and so um as you said uh, you know you and I had a lot of battles we, we we came about the same time and so you know the challenges of um you know being in this area of the country and but I'm, I'm from Oklahoma and I always had a passion to come back and helping tennis in the state become better I think there's um a lot of great athletes in our state and we have a lot of great facilities and we should be producing more high level players and, and inspiring our junior players to do more. And so that's always one of my goals as well as coming back, being from this area. Can I help tennis become better uh, in this part of the country? Because there's so many resources available for us to do it. So that's still a challenge for me to this day. Yeah. I think you've answered all my questions, Chris. Uh, I have nothing left. The podcast's yeah. over. No, there, there's there's so many things there that that I want to before we kind of move on a little bit. I'd love to know kind of what you have learned from Mike Holder. You know, what are maybe two or three lessons that that have really uh, impacted you during your time there working under Mike Holder? You know, one of the things that he always says it's, it's so different. I think in our department than a lot of departments because one. Is like I hired you to do 
this job. And so he's not a micromanaging type person. You know, he kind of just trusts that you're going to do it, which I think as a coach is, is awesome because you just get to go out there and, and you do it. And, and, and he sits back and supports you, but it's not going to criticize or tell you that, uh, I wish you should, you, you should have done it this way. You know, uh, even though he has the experience, uh, he'll only tell you that if you ask it. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing for him is, you know, he says that you have unlimited resources and you have the ability to go out there and make connections, draw people into your program. And there should be, there should be no budget for you. If you, you know, you go out and you make connections and resources and people there, and that's what he challenges us as coaches to do. Um, and that's what he did. And, and for some people that's uncomfortable for some people going out and, you know, making fundraising and those types of things, a part of your program or feeling like that's a responsibility that you have, um, that maybe doesn't always fit everyone's skill set or what they want to do. And so that can be a little bit challenging, um, you know, but he says in the same breath, like I could give it to you, but it'll, it'll help you if you go out and you make it happen for yourself, you learn a lot more and you build some connections and some relationships with people and kind of doing it yourself that are really going to be valuable for you. And, and I would say from my personal experience, that's been so true. You know, if they just would have built a tennis center for me, it would have been great. And it would have, gotten us off to a better start, a faster start, you know, for four years, we were driving to Oklahoma city or Ponca city or Tulsa or wherever I could find courts. And sometimes two different places in the same day. Um, you know, we'd have a group in the morning and a group in the afternoon to be able to get some more one-on-one -on -one time. And it's just hard to develop the kids because you spend more time in the van than you do on the court. And, you know, you have to find the time when people don't have junior programs or whatever. And, you know, it's just trying to figure out how are we going to make this better? But you see people that were coming to the matches and, and curious about how can we help? And, you know, I think there's a lot of factors that went into talking to people about um, getting involved. And now you have people that are really invested. They've not only given, um, you know, their, their money, but they've given their time and they're really invested in the program and they want to see something. And, Fortunately, we've been able to back it up, you know, and I think he always says you, you know, you under promise and over deliver. And I think for the people who've got involved with our program, I think that we've been able to deliver some of the things that we said, hey, if you invest in our program, this is what it can become. And, you know, 2014, we opened a new tennis center and 2016, we're playing in the finals. I think we were able to deliver. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's, there's, uh, yeah, definitely want to talk more about that and, and your journey there. But talking about fundraising, promotion, marketing. So one of the things I'll, I'll tell a quick story, Chris, you, you probably won't remember this, but um, your first year at Oklahoma State, this was when we were still allowed to 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 scout as coaches. And, and um, so you were playing at the Greens Country Club in Oklahoma City. I drove up. I, you might actually play Wichita State. Um, I can't remember, but it was one of your first matches. We were getting ready to play in a few weeks. And I got there maybe 10 minutes before you guys were scheduled to play and uh there was actually a pretty good crowd there in the in the lobby the the matches were behind the glass so it was hard to hear what was going on 
but you brought your entire team out. You, you, you had them all introduce themselves. You had some uh, kind of flyers about the match, uh, the court set up. Um, you gave a little kind of speech about, you know, uh, Oklahoma State tennis and, and uh, really engaged those people that had made the effort to come out there and, and, and watch. And uh, that really stuck with me, Chris, because I think it would have been easy just to start that match at five o'clock, play the match, not do any of that stuff, not embarrass your girls, you know, having to <laughs> introduce themselves and just go, okay, we're, you know, we're working towards an indoor facility. We'll have that at some point. We'll do that then. But how did you figure out just how important the marketing, the promotion side of things were so early in your career? And then how have you developed your expertise in that area? You know, it really goes back to my days at Oklahoma Christian. Um, you know, I feel like as a coach, uh, well, I guess say Dick Gould, I heard a quote from him one time and he said, the greatest thing you can do for your team is to put fans in the stands. And that stuck with me because I feel like that our kids in, in, in a lot of tennis programs, they get shortchanged because they work just as hard as all their peers. And imagine if, if they had 60,000 people in a, you know, a stadium coming to watch them play, how cool would that be? You know, I think all this is tennis players were so envious of some of these other sports of like, how cool, just one time, just one time, you know, and we joke with the kids all the time about, you know, let's have a match at the stadium and put the courts down and, you know, just these types of things. Right. And it's just a dream. But I think that as a coach, if you can show the players, like I'm trying to give you that experience, I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to do everything I can to get people to come out and support you. I think that means so much to your players because you, you know, they know that you're doing it for them. Like just to give them that experience of showing them that people care. I mean, how, you know, deflating is it to work all week long to work hard for a match and you show up and there's just your parents there, you know, or handful of people. It's like the people really care. The people really like, you know, is this really that important? And and it's hard. It, it just makes it hard. And so I remember um, when I was at Oklahoma Christian, we, we had a school come from California, which was like a big deal to get someone to come, you know, one of the top teams to come. And we never played on campus because we had four courts. Two were like up this hill and then two were like down the hill. So it's like impossible to coach, um, you know, on four courts, plus they're like spread out. So when you're in two courts, you really can't even see the other two courts. Um, but but they're right in the middle of campus. And so I'm like, I mean, surely people are just going to be walking by and curious as to like what's going on here because they never see us playing a match. And so um, I got a guy to bring a big old grill and we set it like in between the four courts. I mean, there's, you know, two or 300 yards in, in between. Um, but, you know, he set it up and we, and we got someone to get hamburgers and hot dogs. And we were just like, you know, then all of a sudden it's right in the middle of campus and somebody's grilling and people are paying attention. And the people started coming, you know, walking over to the match just to see, just out of curiosity, what's, what's going on. And uh, the match was competitive. By the end, you know, you have 200 people standing around watching and cheering. And our players were like dumbfounded that people could actually like cheer for them. And I just remember in that moment thinking like, I've got to do a better job of, of doing this because the players, they still talk about that match to this day, you know, and like how kind of crazy it was. But but the fact that we did it and then. You know, you get to Wichita State and, and Oklahoma State and, you know, in a lot of our programs, you know, some some places are fortunate to have people that will do things for you, but not many people are inspired. Like, that's not their goal to to help 
tennis, you know, they all want to get into the the sports that produce revenue. And so, you know, the resource is going to go there. So as a coach, it really kind of becomes on you until you can kind of prove proof of concept that, okay, if we do this, people are going to come and this is the way to do it. So, you know, I think that's been my motivation. Um, and then always just trying to find kind of a hook and in Oklahoma state, when I got here, we did free pizza and we put flyers in the dorms. I would give, I would print out flyers. I would give it to the girls and like, Hey, stick this up in your dorm somewhere. Or sometimes we'd take the team around to like places in town and Hey, the girls would ask, will you put this up for us? You know, we have two matches this weekend or whatever. Um, and we're going to have free pizza. And I always thought like, let's try to get the students out, you know, so that their peers are watching them. And surely there's some students sitting in the dorms and they see a sign with free pizza and they're like, at least they're going to show up for 15 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think with our sport, we just got to get people there because when people come, they get hooked. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's, it's so exciting college tennis. And I think we just need to get people there. Once they come one time, they usually come back just getting them there the first time because they don't really know what they're missing. So I think that's always been, um, you know, something that I've, I've tried to do and, and it's carried forward. And, um, you know, once you start to see some success with it, it's inspiring even personally to keep doing it. But I remember that match for sure with, with you, I was like, our team was not very good. And I'm like, I don't know why he's showing up to scout this time. <laughs> I was doing my homework, Chris, doing my homework. Um, There's no question. Yeah. And then, well, just around that marketing. So how, how do you map that out then? I mean, are you working with uh, somebody in your athletic department brainstorming ideas? Are you sitting around with your team, your assistant coach coming up with ideas? Okay, we have this many home matches. This is going to be our plan of attack to, to get as many people out for, for each match. These are, you know, one or two matches that we're really going to target and try and get a few thousand people at. Can you walk coaches through your, your process of, of, of marketing? I would say, first of all, use everybody. Um, you know, I talk to our coaches. I talk to, um, you know, people in our marketing department. I've found that, you know, there's always people there that are hungry, whether it's like GAs, students, um, people. I, I think you, you find that people that maybe aren't getting a voice in some of the other programs and maybe they've got some good ideas, but no one's ever listening to them. Um, ever, most schools have a sports marketing class on campus. So oftentimes I find out who's teaching the sports marketing class and just try to talk to them. And um, I remember when I got to Oklahoma State, maybe it was 2011 or 12, the final project for the sports marketing class, the guy did it and was basically, um, they did a, a presentation on how we should market the tennis program. And they did uh, surveys on campus. And, you know, the surveys were, a little discouraging at the time. People didn't even know we had a tennis team or know where the courts were and, you know, all these things. Cause we didn't have the facility then we just got there. And, um, but you know, you find out like, this is the drawbacks and the, you know, they presented me, here's your drawbacks, which I was well aware of the drawbacks. I was more focused on the solutions, but, um, they did a great job. There was five groups they presented to me. I still have those books in my office and I refer back to them at times because, you know, there's really no new ideas. It's just trying to find out, um, some of those things. And, um, sometimes you kind of have to refresh some ideas, but I'll use anybody and everybody. I feel like I'm always talking about it. And so I think when people know that it's something you're passionate about, 
people bring things to you oftentimes as well, or they'll say, have you thought of this or whatever, because they know that I'm willing to, I'm willing to try anything. And so sometimes people with the crazy ideas, they wind up bringing them more to me because they know like, you know, the great thing about tennis is I think we can try more things. We can be a little bit more open to trying something that they're not going to try at a big event. They're not going to try with, you know, 60,000 people in the stands. They might rather try it at tennis and see kind of what the response is or, or whatever. So uh, I'm kind of always talking with people and, Hey, if you have anything left over, if you have any marketing ideas, if you know, whatever it is, um, you know, bring it to us and you can't do everything. I think you got to be reasonable about things. Um, but I think you also just try to be as creative as possible and, and learn what works and what doesn't. And, and um, you know, what really does draw people to tennis matches. Yeah. So then, talking about your run to the NCA finals and so that was that was very inspiring for me I think when I, I retired from college coaching in 2016 I, I wrote you uh, just kind of telling you how, how <laughs> inspiring I found your 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 journey and your your run to the finals and, and how you had broken through that glass ceiling and early in my career the prevailing thought was that hey at a place like oklahoma or oklahoma state you you can't you know be a top 10 program you don't have the academic reputation you don't have the the tradition of success um and you should just be happy if you're top 20 and and every few years you know pop your head in there and uh but really you disrupted the party completely in in my view and uh your your run to the finals that year and then you're consistently challenging for a national championship this year so why why were you able to kind of ignore the the prevailing thoughts out there around women's tennis? Why were you able to get to top 20 and then smash right through that into the top 10 and then into the top five and, and consistently do that where a lot of the rest of us were, were willing to listen to the kind of prevailing thoughts as to, Hey, just, just be happy with, with where you are and, and don't, don't rock the boat kind of thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a good question. Um, you know, I think the answer for me is just, just really, um, you know, I think, I guess it's maybe cliche, but just having a big vision and, and like, and fighting against those norms and feeling that's a challenge and talking about it. You know, I think one of the things coach Holder says, and, and I agree with, I'm talking to our kids about what you think about, what you dream about, what you talk about, that's, that's what can happen. And I think you have to just be open to talk about it and share about it and talk about, you know, you know, from your experiences in college tennis, what it takes to get there. Um, you know, you've been a part of a number one team in the country and, and, you know, it's just sometimes I think people feel like, well, we can't get those types of kids to, to our program. And I think, you know, most of the time that may be true at, at certain times, but why not? Why, why can't there be those kids out there that want to go against the norm that want to show that something's possible. And so, you know, I really just set that out in recruiting. And, and first of all, just trying to sell that is like, you know, trying to find those kids that, that wanted to come here and do something special. And, and, you know, you can go to, X, Y, and Z programs, and they've had, you know, hundreds of all Americans, or you can come here and you can be the first with us. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you can do something that's never been done before and your name's going to be on the wall, um, you know, at the new tennis center and, and those types of things. And so, you know, just, I think talking about it, I remember that year in 2016, the turning point from us is we went to, um, 
USC and played there at spring break. And that year that that team was pretty amazing in doubles. We won 33 out of the 34 doubles points. And the only time we lost the doubles point, we lost at USC in March uh, on, on spring break. And we went there, we just played a bad match. The kids were not inspired. It wasn't who we were. Um, and it just kind of like we were on spring break in every shape and form and fashion. And it just, to me, wasn't acceptable. And so I just talked to the kids, uh, I think fairly calmly afterwards, but you know, I told them, I think this team has the talent to win a national championship. And when I said that, they kind of just stepped back a little bit from me, kind of like, really? Um, The interesting thing with that team is that they didn't really ever set big goals that year in the beginning of the season because they were afraid of putting the goals too high. I think everybody in the room knew that that team was very talented, um, but they were hesitant to say, we want to win a big 12 championship because they felt that put pressure on them. And if they came up short, that the whole season was a failure. And so I kind of let that go for just a little bit in the season, you know, to try to kind of not just force it on them, but let it organically kind of, kind of happen. And after the USC match, you know, I used it as an example of, we're going to keep having these types of moments. So I I really think a turning point for us was, was the USC match when we just talked to them about, we need to have goals and we need to be committed on the same page to what we wanted to accomplish this year. If we wanted to really go far and win a big 12 and and also compete for a national championship. And we sat and talked at the hotel that night for 45 minutes or so, just about goal setting and, and commitment and, all the extra work that needed to be done. And, you know, I think if winning was easy, everybody would do it. We, we hear that said all the time, but I think people just don't understand the type of commitment that it takes to get there. And I think that's, um, you know, few people are willing to make that commitment and that's why a few people, few programs have that success. And when I went to get something to eat that night, I saw my entire team sitting around together and having a conversation on their own. And I knew that something was good was happening and by the time that we got back we just said look we're restarting the season we have our first big 12 match was that saturday um we're going to start over and this is the team that we're going to become and we're not going to settle for anything less and the amount of work that those kids put in the amount of video and the amount of analysis that we did um was was a different level i mean those kids were workers um you know and adamovich was our top player and, and she's one of the hardest workers that i've I've ever had. And, um, you know, I remember in the sweet 16, we beat Georgia and we finished 1.30 AM. We get back to the hotel, get some sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was pretty fired up about the match. So I get up at seven, just going to go downstairs and, and get on the treadmill and just kind of clear my head a little bit. And the girl's already there, like in full sweat, you know, she had been there for 30 minutes running on the treadmill. She was just a, a warrior. And that set the tone for all of the kids. And, you know, it's like the kids had to keep up with, with the, with each other because of how hard they were working. And, and they were just on such a, a mission. And, you know, there's times as a coach where you're a part of that and you see these kids that are on this mission and you just love being able to, to help them being a part of it. And, I think those kids knew in that moment that we could get there. And um, I think it's still so disappointing for us as a group and, and surprising that we couldn't finish it off, um, you know, because it was right there for us. Um, And that's something that kind of motivates me still to this day is like, you know, I feel like, did we break through? 
I don't know. For me, I feel like the job's still still out there to be done, and and um, still trying to find the pieces to put it together to to make that run. And you know, the next year, I thought we had probably a more talented team than next year. Um, you know, we added Aliana Bolsova, who's obviously doing well professionally now, and she played number three for us uh, that year. And um, you know, we ran into a tough Florida team in the quarterfinals, and you know, that's kind of how it was. I mean, I thought that was the team that we had to beat to win it that year. And and they were really tough and, and got us. And since then we haven't quite got over the hump, but as you said, I mean, it's, um, that's, that was my passion and dream was to come, you know, especially an Oklahoma guy to come here and show that school like this could do it. And I think it was just something you think about, you dream about, you focus on, but then you got to be willing to do the work and uh, you got to find the kids that, you know, I think recruiting is all about finding those kids that really respond to you and your coaching style and your belief system and, and all those things. When those things mesh well together, hopefully we showed that that year that anything can be possible. Yeah, you, you did for sure. And, and like I said, it was it was very inspiring for me and, and made me, uh, even though I was getting out of college coaching, um, just made me rethink kind of, well, what things am I framing that I'm, I'm thinking are not possible? And, and uh, so I want you to know that, that I found that very inspiring and, and uh, has, has challenged my thinking uh, really since that, since that day. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in, again, the, rec- the recruiting side of things. I mean, you had you definitely had the worst facility in the big 10 outdoor facility. I mean, it's really bad facility. You had no indoor courts. Like you said, you're traveling to various different spots just to practice and play matches and just get court time wherever, wherever you could. And and I know how that I, my first year at Oklahoma is in the same boat. And I know how challenging that is driving in vans and ice storms and things like that to, to try and get some practice time, uh, maybe on two or three courts, but um, you know, you, you're still a ways away away from getting your indoor center, but how did you go about, um, attracting those top, you know, some of the top U S players that would never in a million years considered some of them didn't even probably know where the state of Oklahoma was. And, uh, you've got a terrible facility, but you've, you've really got them to believe in your vision in, in what you were trying to accomplish there. Are you able to talk a little bit more around how you go about that and, and how coaches can think about recruiting moving forward. Yeah, I think really it's identifying kids that you relate to. And I think, you know, early in the recruiting process, the kids that are responding. And I think that's really important finding, finding a way to relate to, to those top kids and get them to um, see you as a coach uh, that can be supportive and help them in some way. Look, everybody wants to, become the best and ultimately they're going to choose the path that they feel is best for them that is going to give them the opportunity to be successful and I think it's um, to me it's always a challenge of like how can I create that path for them that they feel like I'm a necessary piece or our program is a necessary piece to their development what what can we give them that maybe they they don't have I think that's what I've tried to look for with a lot of kids is you know maybe there's something that's been holding them back from getting to the level that they want to get to. What is that? What is that missing piece? And, you know, look, I mean, I think people negatively recruit against um, Stillwater and Oklahoma and, and the program. And it's very easy to find what's wrong. It's very easy for people to say why you shouldn't. Right. So I just take that and, and use it 
in a, in a positive way and say, look, yeah, we may not have the beach. If you're looking for the beach and if you're looking for these things, let's start off right away. And we don't have these things, but here's what we do have. We have a, a place where there's not a lot of distractions. You can come and you can focus on your tennis. You can get better. We have a community of people that will really be supportive of you. And we're going to give you every resource possible, you know, now with our facility and, with the resources that we have, there's nothing that our players our players will need for their development that we can't get for them or give to them. We're going to get the best uh, video, the best analysis. We're going to spend as much time as possible. And I tell the kids, like, you know, you're not going to outwork me. So as much as you want to be on the court, as much as you want to do things, as much as you're going to need to do it, we're going to do it. And fortunately, I've had great um, you know, a great staff. I think it really goes to having great assistant coaches. Um, it goes to having assistant coaches that I think can pick up in areas where maybe I'm I'm um, not as strong or don't have as much time to do certain things with. And, and I think balance and, and I think that I'm pretty aware of, um, you know, who I am and, and, and what I bring to the table. And, and I want to surround myself with people that also can give to the kids um, in a great way. And, and I always try to go get the best assistant coach that I possibly can um, that can really spend time with the kids as well on the court and the two of us together um, you know we give a lot of attention to the kids and you know I think once you kind of get it going like we have now then I think the kids sell it to the to the future kids they tell them yes everything he said this is exactly what he told me and you know now it's um, it's showing up you know we've we've had at least one All-American every year since 2014 at least one player. And most of those kids started playing number five singles and they finished their career playing number one. If you look at the players who played number one in our program outside of Leshkova, they didn't come in ready-made players. You know, they didn't come in and play number one. They started at four or five, you know, from Adamovich to Stresnikova to Bobic. You know, you go down the list of all these kids that became All-American. They were talented players, but they came in lower the lineup players and they were able to develop. And I think once you show kids that, you show them that they're, you know, we don't just say that we develop players. I can show you how we develop. The proof is there. And um, I think, you know, whether it's an American kid or it's an international kid, I think you got to find those kids that want to think a little bit outside the box, you know, um, that they're willing to say, Hey, the t-shirt that I wear on signing day may not be the one that's most popular or most attractive to all my friends or is going to wow everybody, but my career and what I do with my career, that's, what's going to be what wows people. And when people see what I, what I accomplish, um, they're going to know that I made the right decision. And ultimately, you know, it's, with, with kids, you you know, you have to ask the question. It's a legitimate question of, you know, where's, who are you trying to make happy in the moment? You know, is it, is it for just that signing day moment or is it for the next four years? Cause you got to live it. So you got to be committed to it, you know? And um, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's any schools that aren't doing a great job. It's just that kid needs to find the right fit for them. And that's why you see so many kids transfer different things. Cause they don't really invest in like, Okay, this is this is really what's important to me from a tennis side, and and look, I think our program is is geared for the tennis junkies, the kids that really just want to come in and focus on um, their tennis. They're going to get a great education here, but am I going to fight against certain schools that have a great academic reputation and try to oversell myself and something that's 
not valid. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell the kids, this is what we have to offer. And if this is what you're looking for, we're going to make sure that you have the best experience possible. And I think a lot of kids appreciate that honesty and straightforwardness and just the commitment to, to helping them achieve what they want to achieve. And I think they feel that passion from us as coaches during the process and they know we'll do anything for them. So with that being said, would you say it's more challenging to build the program to that level or to maintain it at the level it is now where you're challenging for a national championship and producing all Americans on a yearly basis? I I used to think it was was harder to to build it, but now that we're here, I think maintaining it is so much harder because, um, you know, I think number one, you can't forget who you are and now I can't change the model and now, okay, I can get in with these kids and I'm going to start going after maybe a different type of kid. I got to kind of stick with my, um, my lane and what works and the types of kids we're, we're looking at. You can't, um, but at the same time, there's, there's a smaller number of kids now that can help our program than when we were building it. You know, I think that your uh, numbers get a little bit, a little bit smaller because, mm-hmm. um, you know, now you're a part of, an elite group and you're trying to accomplish something at the highest level that um, maybe you don't have the same time for numbers of development that you have when you're building something, you know, you might have five kids that are really in the development stage, you know, when you're, you know, starting to, to build the process. But, but now, you know, if we have one spot that comes, comes open, you know, we might be able to take a kid and develop them through the process. But, you know, if we've got two or three spots, a couple of those kids are going to have to step up and be ready to play at a high level from, from day one. And so, um, and I think just, just the, the challenges of now everybody knows who we are and it's no surprise when we're on somebody's schedule, the type of match that it's going to be. And, um, you know, I think everybody plays one of their better matches against you. You know, I think there was a period of time, you know, where it changed and it flipped, you know, um, in 2015, 16, 17, kind of in that stage where, you know, we became the the one that people were, were shooting to knock off for the big 12 title. And that was such a new experience for, for our kids from, you know, wow, everybody's really fired up to play us when before it wasn't that way. And I know you can uh, attest to that, you know, it's like we were kind of the ones that people looked for on the schedule and now um, it was a little bit different. So I think maintaining something and maintaining that hunger, maintaining that, um, that fire and the standard, I think as a coach, you know, I always tell people that coaches were messengers of excellence. And so whatever excellence is, as coaches, we have to be the messenger of that. We have to show that this is what excellence looks like. And we're the standard every single day. And so to show up every single day with that standard of excellence and not accept something less, that's the challenge as a coach. The longer that you do it is not to let that standard drop, because the minute that you do, you almost have to start back all, all over again. And that's what I live with every single day is I knew how hard it was to build it. I don't want to go back to doing that again. So, you know, I can't let that, I can't let it drop. And so that, I think that's what makes it a little bit harder is, is those standards. Yeah. So we've talked about marketing, promotion, recruitment, player development. I want to talk a little bit about uh, event hosting. And you obviously were bitterly disappointed that you didn't get to host the NCAA tournament last May as, as, as we were as all, I think everybody really felt for you. And, and, uh, but obviously, thrilled that you've been reassigned the NCAA championship in 2024. 
Can you give coaches a sense of what is required to host NCAA Division I tournament? How much money has to be raised, the process to get the championships on television, um, and also why you believe it's worth the effort to host an NCAA championship? You know, I think for me, I'll start with that question first. Um, why I personally believe it was worth the effort is I think that our championship can be so much better in the sense that I think that we can think about our championship in the same way that other championships feel revenue generating championships. You know, uh, one of the surprising things for me when I got involved in this is, you know, there's a, there's a mindset if you allow it, that's going to come from outside that says, we just want to get this championship. Let's, let's get it over with. Let's make sure that it goes well. The kids have a good experience, uh, you know, but but we're not going to look to create something new or be outside the box on this. We're just going to like stay in the lane and get it done. And, you know, for me, as we were leading up to the year of hosting it, I would go to see, um, you know, I went to the wrestling championship because we have a good wrestling program here and you see 20,000 people there and it's an atmosphere. And then we went to the softball championship, which is in Oklahoma city. And you go down there and you see just all the buzz you know, that that is for, for softball. You go to some of these other championships and, and you start to see like how they were created. And it's like, we can do that for tennis. That's how I felt. Like we just got to start somewhere. We got to start, you know, with at least taking some of these steps to do it. Uh, we've had the golf championships here at, at Oklahoma state. We have cross country coming up. So we, we've done a lot with championships here and you just take a few things from each of those championships. And if we can kind of put it together, you know, I think that for many college tennis players, this should be the highlight of their career because they're not going to go on and they're not going to uh, maybe reach a, a grand slam. There's a handful of them and we hope more will. But if you're a college tennis player, making the NCAA championship should be the highlight of your career. And when you step back away from it after making that statement, you have to think, OK, what needs to be done to ensure that happens? And I think if you go into it with that mindset, I think you just change the game a little bit. So for us, um, I started to think from a coach and from a player, what things I think get in the way uh, of us having a championship or what what things um, are a challenge when you're at the championship that make life maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, and so we started looking at, you know, what happens when a match is over? How do you quickly, how do you get food? How do you get recovery? How do you do some of these things? And we wanted to have the best recovery stations at our championship. We wanted to have literally right across the street, the players could go and they could have a variety of food options, whether they were vegan or pescatarian or whatever they, you know, they were, were choosing to eat. They were going to have the best quality of meal possible for them right here in their championship, just as if they were at a grand slam and everything was available to them. And, um, you know, then they're going to feel special. And when you make the kids feel special, um, you know, I think they play better. They're going to be more inspired. They're going to be excited to be at the championship. And, you know, I knew that people coming to Stillwater for the championship at first thought, people are thinking, why are we going there? And, um, you know, I wanted them to leave thinking we want to come back here every year. And so in doing that, you know, we also wanted to have something where 
just like we talked about earlier with fan engagement. We need more people at our championships because our championships are the highlight of our sport. And that's where the best of, of the best in our sport play. How do we get more people there? And so we had engaged in trying to create a fan fest. And whenever you go to football or basketball, there's this fan fest outside. And you think, oh, maybe I can't create that. But I went to the softball and it's there. It's like when you're walking up to softball, before you even walk in the doors of the stadium, it's like you feel like you've already been somewhere special because of just walking up, you know, like, hey, I'm here at something that's special. And so that's what we wanted to create. And, you know, there was a lot of um, people that said it couldn't be done, that we couldn't get certain sponsors on board or whatever. But I think it's just kind of the same thing in recruiting and fundraising and everything, you know, like you have to be the one telling the story. If you're really passionate about it, you got to get out there and tell a story because, if, you know, you can't expect someone else to tell the story for you. And I think that would be the thing that I would say to all young coaches is if you want to be a great recruiter, you want to be a fundraiser, you want to be a marketer or whatever, you can rely on other people to do it for you, but they're not going to have the same investment that you have. They're not going to tell the story with the passion that you have or tell it the same way that you would because all the ideas and everything they're they're in my head i sure I, I need to inspire other people to do that job as well but when it really comes down to those big moments you know you're the one that people want to hear from because you're the one that has that passion and so that's what we were hoping to become and, and since then i've had a lot of great conversations with people who are um having the championships following us and you know i don't think that we have the only ideas. I don't think that I had the best ideas. I was just willing to try some ideas, but I think there's some things we can try with our sport that make it just feel like it's an event that the championship should not feel like any other tournament that you've played all year long. It should not feel like a conference tournament feels like, or a regional feels like it's the national championships. And we do a disservice if we settle for something less. And I think it goes back to what you said in the very beginning, you know, we've, we've kind of lived in this world in college tennis where we've accepted that the model is what it is, that the same people can win year after year or that they're going to win year after year. And well, I mean, there's really nothing we can do about that. Right. Or, you know, we're only going to have a certain number of fans or people that are interested in college tennis. And we just need to kind of market to those people, make sure they come do that. We never really challenged ourselves to say as, as a group, Let's let's become something greater. And not to say that that's me. I think there's a lot of coaches that want to push against the norm. There's a lot of coaches that want to do it. I just think maybe as a collective group, um, the more that you do it, um, I, I think it can become something special. And I think there's a lot of great young coaches that are going to far exceed any of my expectations or things that I thought possible because um, they're going to be better. And hopefully we just, as maybe those of us who've been in it for a while, we can inspire some of these young people that have these brilliant ideas and thoughts in their head that it's possible. Um, so go out there and try it. Definitely, Chris. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, there, there's so much there that I want to extract uh, from you, but in terms of that, uh, this is something that that I think about on a daily basis, especially with with my involvement with coach education, doing these podcasts and and trying to to help our coaches uh, learn from one another. But you know, th this is uh, right now. We in recent times, I mean, we've seen approximately, I think, as to as of today, about sixty eight tennis programs eliminated at all five divisions since since last March, which is a frightening number and and very concerning for us all. But is it? 
is it that changes need to be made, say to the division one model, or is it that coaches need to do what you're doing at, at Oklahoma state that, that you know, obviously working extremely hard, recruiting great players. Um, but you've got the, the community there so wrapped up and involved with your tennis program that it's hard to imagine a day where Oklahoma state would consider eliminating the, the, the women's tennis program at Oklahoma state. I just don't think that would enter, uh, the AD's mind there, whether it was Mike Holder or somebody else. Um, so, what is that? Is there a balance there? Is it something, a change that whether the ITA, the USDA, the NCA, the USO um, Olympic uh, Committee, um, I, I don't know. Is it something that has to come formally or is it just need to happen organically at every university or every community in the country? You know, I, I think it would, it would be great if, if it came from, you know, uh, an entity that gave it um, you know, more validation, but I just, I think that it organically is the way that we need to approach it. And then I think with that, you reach people's attention that we need to do more for this, this group that's maybe underserved, you know, um, when I was Wichita state, I, I got a group of five guys together that were very influential business people in town that also enjoyed playing tennis. And I called them my advisory group. And I met with them for lunch one day a week. And I would just ask them like, you guys are great business. I mean, some of the top business people in our community, tell me how you think we need to be running our program or, or tell me some ideas for our program from a business perspective. How, how would you approach the challenges that we have in tennis. And it's just interesting, you know, listening to people. And I think that we need to let more people be invested in what we do. I think sometimes we, we control things so much that we don't let people come in and share their ideas. And once you let them in, they, they become invested and they want to see, see it through. And those guys became invested. And um, one of the guys who was a great uh, collegiate tennis player and, 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 professional player, Buff Farrow played at UCLA. He told me a quote that stuck with me my entire career. He said, you know, look, you can't expect that people are going to come out just because you're winning. He said, you can't expect that, that winning is going to solve everything. Most coaches think if I just work hard, um, if I just do enough that we start winning, people are going to notice. Sure. People love to support winners. There's no question about that, but people aren't going to care about you and your program until you care about them first. And that just stuck with me of like, look, I need to do a good job of engaging with people and finding ways to get involved in things in our community to to go into fundraisers or different things and being a part of what the community is really all about. And and, you know, we know as tennis coaches what it feels like to to always be like searching for help and for people wanting more. And there's so many organizations in our community that feel the exact same way. And if we can partner with those people. I think we can join forces and help them. We can, we can serve them and then they can wind up helping us in return. And I think then the community becomes engaged because they see, look, everywhere I go, I see cowgirl tennis or, or I see, you know, whoever it is, they're there, whether it's, you know, helping out at special Olympics or it's helping out something at the local schools or whatever it is. I, we just see them everywhere. And, you know, those things just take time. I think they take buy-in from, from uh, your kids on your in your program, I think it takes buy-in from your staff and everybody involved that this is important to take this amount of time and do that. And and um, you know we all have 
enough time. It's just a matter of how we prioritize our time and what we give value to. And um, you don't do it with the idea that I'm doing this only so it comes back to me, but I've seen it in so many ways. It comes back to you in greater ways than you thought when you just care about other people first. Mm -hmm. And to build on that, Chris, this is a question I asked of a podcast guest recently, and and maybe I'll ask it to every guest. But uh, if you were the college tenants czar for for a day or a week or a year and you had no red tape, you didn't have to ask, consult coaches, you didn't have to work with the NCA or, or any other governing body, uh, what changes would you adopt for college tennis and why? No, that's not, you know, for me, I think you know from, from being around me that I think the TV element is really important. I, I would do whatever it takes, spend the resources possible to get us on TV for our championships because our championships are great. That's the highlight of our sport. And I think if our, our sport is is going to grow, people need to see it at the, at the, at the peak. People need to see um, those moments where, where, you know, teams are competing for trophies. They're, they're having those electric moments that gets everybody fired up. And I think that, um, you know, being able to, to create an atmosphere, we have a lot of fans in the stands. There's excitement around our our sport, and then it's shown on TV, and people get used to following it. Look, I mean, it's it's kind of the same old adage that a lot of times we don't um, charge for admission, and sometimes people don't place value on things they get for free. And you know, it's the same thing with the TV side of it. People don't place a lot of value for things they feel like are not worthy of reaching that level. And so I think just creating a little bit more value, I think that that will do it. I think there's a lot of models out there with, especially in the female side with softball and volleyball and how they've created their championship and they've raised the level and now the sport itself has grown. So for me, I would do a really good job of trying to get as many of the conference championships on, on TV along with our national championship and, and putting a lot of our resources into the championship. And I think, you know, there, the question then becomes scoring formats. And we've talked about that at nauseam, I know in a lot of ways, but you know, is there anything that we could do that, that makes it more TV friendly? Um, I think just have to be open to that. Um, you know, you see sports at the professional level starting to shorten, you know, baseball now major league baseball is putting a runner on base in the 10th inning to, just shorten it because they know once it starts going longer, people are going to lose interest. And, you know, I think that that's the challenge for us with our product is keep looking at it. Keep, keep, um, you know, visioning it. Um, I know that um, you and I played, I think one of the most exciting college tennis matches that I've been a part of mm-hmm. in 2014, we did it um, on TV um, with, with, with the, um, what was it college match day? College match day, yeah. On ESPN, and they brought the big truck, and 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 they were had like Wii tennis there, and it was such a great atmosphere. And I don't think you could have put ten more people in the building that day. It was amazing, and it's a memory that I, I'm sure both of us will always have. And we played singles first, and um, you know we were going to play ten point tiebreakers in in doubles, and I knew that we could not get there with the strong Dave Mullins doubles uh, lineup that <laughs> so we we're going to have to pull it out. And, you know, it's it, that last match was seven, six in the third. Um, and I, I, I'm still trying to find video of the interview that Leshkova did after that, because it was like, it was like a college tennis advertisement that you want to show. It was like, 
Cause in that moment, it was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. You know, I, I won seven, six in the third. If we would have gone to the 10 point tiebreaker, probably would have been even more exciting to have three 10 point tiebreakers. But the fact that, um, we created that atmosphere. I think that was something that you and I did together in that moment. Um, that was pretty special. And it was a rivalry. It was everything that you want about sports. It happened. And to me, it was like, from that moment, I'm like, we can do this. You know, this this can be done. We just need more moments like that. And a lot of people watched it because it was a rivalry, you know, maybe around this area with the two of us. But I still have people talking about that match and that was seven years ago. Um, so I think there's a way to to do it. And if I was in charge, you know, I would definitely try to recreate some of those moments with TV, with like, you know, match of the week um, and doing some of those things, because um, that's the ones that I remember. So for me, I feel like that's that's what I would try to recreate. Mm -hmm. OK, so you're saying singles first tie break for doubles afterwards that's i have you on record stating that <laughs> i'm not against it i'm not yeah, against it. i know i know i mean that that yeah that match was amazing and it was so exciting because we didn't know whether we were going to go to doubles or not and our teams are weren't you know those players that had finished you know uh you know uh, 30 minutes or an hour prior uh we're warming up again getting ready expecting them there was so much buzz uh, about what was to potentially to come um but uh you're right that was one of the more exciting matches I've, I've ever been a part of and i was on the losing side of it but um yeah none of us were hanging our heads that day right i mean it was just a an amazing atmosphere and uh something that that you and i and our players will will forever remember so yeah like you said how do we create more uh, opportunities like that and, and uh, more experiences like that for our players. Okay. Um, I know we're going quite long here, Chris, but uh, I think we could go all day, but what, what um, uh, I've got a few more questions here, but okay. If you were able to identify the next Chris Young within our college coaching ranks, what traits would they exhibit? All this question on the list and I'm like, I, I, I don't think, I mean, I hope that I don't come across, I, I, I want to be super humble with everything I do. And mm -hmm. I, I just don't feel like I've, I'm that guy that people need to emulate. I really don't like, I, I, I would steer people away from it, but, um, you know, if I could help somebody, I always want to do that. Um, you know, I, I think that you, there's so much um, that I would say there. I just hesitate with that question because I don't want to come across as though I've got it all figured out because I sure don't. But I would just encourage coaches, um, the things that I've learned and mistakes that I've made and, and ways that I've grown is um, just dream big. You know, don't don't settle for what college tennis has always been. We need people out there that are game changers that are willing to take a risk. And, you know, it's not always going to be um, popular if you're out there and you're trying to kind of go against the norm. It's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be set up for you. But, um, you know, I always tell our coaches here that, you know, our assistant coaches, they're going to get a great experience here. They're going to learn how it is to do everything because nothing's really given to us. We have to kind of work and do everything. And, you know, it's not set up for, you know, especially in the early part, it wasn't set up for success. And so you learn how to do that. And I think that 
I would just say to, to coaches that, you know, want to come up and, and really want to kind of maybe emulate the success that we've had here is, um, you know, be willing to, to know that everybody you come across can help you in some way and, and, and be open-minded to that and um, learning from that, be curious. Um, I, I'm a real curious learner, maybe more than people would realize. Like I reach out to people and form relationships with people in all aspects of sports and life, because I just want to be better. I know where I need to grow and, and I want to be better. And that's, I guess what I would challenge young coaches to do is don't settle for who you are. Try to become a better version of yourself and try to learn from people and everybody that you're around, you can take something from that person and become better. And so I think relationships are so important to me as a person. And, um, I think as young coaches, I think having relationships where you can grow and you can learn from people, um, you know, I think it's, it's so important. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from, from watching you, you know, in the big, in the beginning, our, our days, I mean, your teams were, were so strong and I think you do such a great job of like, being on court and it's like whenever we're warming up or we're around I'm like always watching you know I want to watch and see like what makes this person really good on the court what what are they doing if I can pick up a drill or if I can just see the interactions I'm always curious with the interactions of people and kind of how are they bringing out the best in their players um you know I think that's so important because a lot of times we have a view of what we think people are um but if you really study them sometimes maybe something comes to light that we can learn from mm. No, that's great advice, Chris, for, for our coaches. And uh, I, I know, um, yeah, especially our younger coaches are looking to, to coaches like yourself who have uh, established themselves in this career and having a lot of success. And, and uh, no, I know how humble you are and you're not trying to brag or anything uh, close to it, but our, our coaches are hungry to learn from guys like yourself. So I think uh, I really appreciate your answer there. All right, well, look, we, we need to land this plane. So into our rapid fire around what what is a book that made a major impact on you as a coach i would say um the power of a positive team i, I read a lot of john gordon stuff right now and uh, the power of a positive team and just um that really has impacted we, we read it as a team a few years ago we're actually reading it as a team this year and um just positivity as a, as a coach and how i can be a better leader i think that that showed a lot for me Okay, I, I have uh, want to ask you more. It's supposed to be a rapid fire, but just around the, the positivity part, is that something you think you struggled with a little bit early on in your career and you feel like you've be, been able to come more positive with your players through the years? I think my players have told me that, um, you know, I think there was a period of time with the players, you know, I think not to get too deep, but, um, you know, my wife had an illness um, mm-hmm. And still does. And and that's been a kind of struggle. I think it just changed my perspective on things quite a bit. Honestly, that probably has changed me more than anything. Um, But I think, yeah, I think, you know, when I, when I came um, up as a young coach, you know, even in my early days here, I was too consumed with winning and, and not consumed with the process, you know, just, I think as a young coach, you're always trying to prove yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's more just being comfortable with who you are. And, um, you know, just really shaping kids in a positive way and thinking about how, how would I want to be coached? And, um, yeah, I, like I said, I knew that I needed to grow in that area and I got around, uh, I was fortunate just to 
work my way, you know, in there with, with John a little bit and, and with a guy named Brett Ledbetter. And I sought out some of these people that I need, you know, I need to grow in these areas and, um, still a work in progress, but, but I'm reading a lot. I'm learning a lot. I'm having a lot of discussions and, you know, now, nowadays with podcasts, there's a lot more you can, you, you can listen to, uh, to those things. And I think just being positive in general is just healthier for your life. And I think it's better for your team. For sure. Okay. What is a favorite drill you have? Well, for me, I'm, I'm pretty simple with uh, some of the drills that we do. I just have to like to perfect them. Right. So I'm a big like serve plus one or turn plus one guy and just kind of working through different variations of that. Um, you know, kind of a fun drill that we do. There's nothing special. It's just, you know, like this was some doubles drills before the matches. I always get excited before the matches trying to find a way to, simulate the doubles as best as possible and the quickness of the doubles. And so, um, you know, just a simple kind of um, short transition ball up to the net and then just kind of playing the point out and then me giving some different variations of balls they might see in the matches, um, trying to simulate that as best as possible right before with no warm up. Um, I think that's always a challenge. So, you know, having two kids back and have them try to defend, you know, a, a transition ball to the net and then different variations of putting the kids at the net with overheads, with, you know, with short volleys, um, you know, with some of those different angles and those things for me, I think that's what I enjoy most. I, I've found that in my career, there's not, a, you know, any exceptional drills. It just takes the exceptional effort and commitment to doing those drills, you know, and I think, um, but but I would say for me also, I think really it's changed a lot with us just being really good on the serve plus one, return plus one. I think that was a big difference in our 2016 team. In March, we were looking at, we were winning 40% of second serve return points. And it's like, that this has got to change, you know, we got to do better. And a lot of times we we're missing wide on our returns. So then we just focused on, you know, attacking that second serve return through the middle, neutralize and look to either come forward or look for that next ball to really open the court and, and come forward. And I think we did a really good job of that. I think it's really transferred into our doubles. And while we had such double success as we were pounding people, when they hit a second serve, we make them really have to think about it. Um, name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, whether it's in coaching or in life. Scoring format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. All right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I had many people tell me that we need to play exactly like professional tennis and we need to do that in order to develop players to the professional level. But I think the no-ad scoring has been a game changer in college tennis. I think it puts um, pressure on the players that every point is important. I think it makes for exciting points, um, dramatic changes in, in the, the match. So, um you know, I'm a big believer in that, and that's why I'm uh, very curious about uh, singles first with a 10-point tiebreaker, although that's still a hard one for me because I love doubles. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm open now to, to formats that allow us to maximize our sport down to like a two, two-and-a-half-hour window for TV because I think that's important. So I, I've come a long way full circle on that. So you would have typically been very traditional about the scoring format and the longer doubles pro set for doubles or even two out of three sets for doubles. Yeah, I, I, I'm used to, you know, I would say maybe 10 years ago, that was kind of more my mindset. And now I'm, I'm starting to see the value. Like 
I, I truly believe that we should stop at four points when we're done a college match because it gives that climax and that ending. And I think fans don't really understand, like, you know, every sport kind of, they're there to see a winner. Right. And I think um, that's something I've really changed my mind about around and very strongly in favor of um, playing the clinch clinch, but getting, getting the result, you know, and then if we want to go out later and we want to finish matches, we want to do something, but I think just, what the fans see, how they see the organization of it. Um, they're there, there to see who wins. They're there to support and see the climax of it. And um, I think building that climax for, um, you know, our sport is so important. So I've changed my mind on that quite a bit and have come really strongly in the clinch clinch uh, situation. Yeah, I've had a couple of coaches actually say that on, on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure we have coaches yelling at the at their iPhone now or whatever they're listening on. Uh, we just recently have been doing a study with Snodgrass partners in the USTA, just trying to get some thoughts around the Division One model and what can we do to improve it. And um, yeah, I mean, every coach, that's that's the difficult thing about our association. We have some coaches, you know, that have great resources, that, that have a lot at their disposable and, and think about things in one way. And then we have other coaches that are maybe fundraising their own salary. Um, just to just to stay on the court and stay in the profession that they love and um you know i've i've seen some of the the raw data and one line format's got to change the next line is in all caps do not change the format <laughs> so it's uh it's yeah it's it's a challenge um but uh something that uh, i think we we need to continue to to have conversations about and i was very involved with the the format change last time around and i know how difficult and painful it was uh, but i think now now everybody, um, you know, has has adopted it and, and uh, adjusted, and the players seem to like it. But okay, this is supposed to be a rapid fire round. What is your favorite quote? I have a quote here on my desk that I've had for since I got to Oklahoma State. It says, "Winning is great, but it's the long road to get there that makes it worthwhile." And I think that's um, I remind myself that every day because it's it's, it's a long road, and um, you know. I still dream of holding up that trophy one day. So um, hopefully it's somewhere down the road. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, if if not before 2024, maybe 2024 when you're hosting. So um, what is one lesson you hope all your players have learned by the time they leave Oklahoma State? I think the value of hard work and the value of relationships. I think, uh, you know, I think relationship skills is, is really important and how important people are in your life, valuing relationships. And uh, I think that's something that I hope our kids, our kids learn uh, from, from me is just the value of relationships. Great, Chris. Well, I, I think we did it. That was uh, that was a long one, but very informative. And, and I, I think we could have gone another couple of hours for sure. But um, no, I, I appreciate uh, our relationship. And I've learned so much from, from you through the years. And like you said, really challenged my thinking on a number of things. And, and so I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. But really appreciate your support of College Tennis hosting National Indoors uh, last week. Uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will go out, but you really stepped up there and, and saved the National indoor uh, division one tournament um, I know it was a challenging weekend for you and didn't have all your your players healthy unfortunately but um, still did an amazing job hosting and, and uh, you know I know you'll continue to do that for, for years to come whether it's a regional event or an NCA tournament or an indoors or whatever it is um, yeah thank you for for all your hard work and making college tennis better I appreciate it very much